Let's bow our hearts. Father, for who you are, for how you work, for your greatness. Father, as we read in our psalm this morning just how you would have to humble yourself, how much you would humble yourself just to look and see what's going on in the heavens and on the earth, let alone, Lord, what is man that you are mindful of him? And yet you set your love upon us. You've, you've sought before the very foundations of the world to redeem us back to you that we could have a place of intimacy, a true, vibrant relationship with a holy God, the creator. And Father, you've done this all through your son. You've given us life. You've given us forgiveness of sin. You've given us bold access to you. And because of that, Lord, because of that, we declare hallelujah, hallel, praise the Lord. We worship you. We exalt you. We honor you. We want our lives to become just a testament of gratitude, Lord. And so this morning is no different. We ask that you would speak to us. We ask that you would minister to us. We ask that you would illuminate Jesus to us and bring clarity to your scripture. Bring clarity that there would not be confusion. There would not be gray areas. There would just be truth, truth, Lord, to who you are, to the work that you've done and how you want us to set our eyes upon you. That we want to behold you, Jesus. We want to worship you. We want to declare, oh, this is the Lamb of God who's taken away, Lord, our sin and made us right given us eternity with the Father, an inheritance forever and ever and even ever and ever. And so draw us to your heart. Illuminate. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would speak to us, your church. We ask it in Jesus' name and all the saints of God said. Amen. All right, saints, if you would open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 9. This morning we begin in verse 14. And, and it's uh, just, you want a title for this message? Three words, how much more? And isn't that what we've been looking at as we've gone through the book of Hebrews? Just how much more? You look to how amazing all these things were. And keep in mind that everything that they compared Jesus to, they were no slouches. They were incredible, godly men it was incredible, godly ceremonies, and God used these things and exalted these things far above the average. But in comparison to Jesus Christ, it's, what is it? How much more? And so you look to these prophets, those that God would say, yes, these are men after my own heart, and I'm going to speak to them, and I'm going to speak through them. And these are going to be my people to say, my heart to the world, and he elevated certain men. And you look to these prophets, and we look at them and say, these guys are amazing. You look to Moses. I mean, how many of us could go and just part Lake Michigan? I mean, who would want to walk to Michigan? But I mean, who would part Lake Michigan? You know, you think about that and how that works. And here's Moses. Lifts up a staff, part the Red Sea. Here they go. And just in case that wasn't enough, 
when the Egyptian army starts coming through, he goes, let all the water come back. He literally defeats the greatest army in the world through what? A rod, one single little rod. Well, and the power of God. Now, as great as Moses was and as great as Elijah is, the one who can simply call fire down from heaven, a chariot comes and picks him up, takes him back to heaven. These guys are amazing. But how much more? How much more is Jesus? Where God, who in the various days and in the various ways he spoke to the people through the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his son. These are the words of life. And that's what I want to focus on here this morning. Words of life and words that come through Jesus Christ. Because so often as we come to this area, we look to that point of taking communion. To be honest with you, there's a lot of confusion when it comes to the church. It comes to what communion is and what communion should be. Now, when you take a look at here, we see what Christ has done and what Christ is doing. I want you to see initially what begins to happen. When we're here in verse 14, where it simply says, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? We look to this area, and what we see is this. This one passage, I could make it into probably about two months' worth of sermons. And you're saying, Lowell, you could make anything into two months' worth of sermons. But we look to this, and I want to show you just a little bit of an outline that comes here. Initially, we call it this. You look at the plus. The plus. How much more? Now that's a plus. You know, you say, well, make it multiplication. I wouldn't make it multiplication, but then I couldn't use all M's. I'm using all P's, so I call it the plus. How much more do we see? And then we see the price. How much more what? Shall the blood. How much more the price, the price that God gave for this, how much more is what? The most valuable thing in the entire creation, the blood of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, God the Son who comes, humbles himself. As we were looking on at that psalm this morning, I mean, how much God would humble himself just to be concerned what was going on in the universe. That he would even look at like, what's the universe to me? I'm God. What is earth to me? I'm God. And think about this. In the whole universe, the earth is a blip. And on the earth, it's a blip in the universe. What are we? We're a blip. We're like we're like blipettes, tiny blips. And yet he's concerned about us. He set his love upon us. And then we see here he would give the most incredible thing. How much more shall the blood, and we see the plus, the price, and then we see the person. How much more shall the blood of Christ? We see here whose blood it is, not the blood of an animal, not the blood of a bull or a goat or a lamb. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. But it's not enough to say here, this is the plus. How much more shall the price, the blood of the person of Christ? We now see what? Then you have the power. Because why? It says here, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit 
Do you realize that what's happening is God himself is saying, yes, God is going to shed his blood. But then the work, the power that comes through that is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now who dwells with us, who dwells in us, he's the one who's going to take this confidence of the work of Jesus Christ and excel it in our minds, in our hearts, that we can declare, praise the Lord. Why? How much more? How much more shall this blood of Christ through the eternal spirit? And then we see what? Then we see the pardon. We see the pardon. He offered himself. It isn't us who's now on the chopping block. Do you understand? It isn't us now who's in that place of judgment. What happens is this. I don't know you've ever seen, you know, Judge Judy or one of the court shows that you have, you know, one one person. Then you have a defendant. And he's the one that, you know, basically when you come to the defendant, I don't know why it is, but they never take the stand or almost never take the stand to defend themselves. No, just plead the fifth, plead the fifth. No, don't, don't defend yourself. Well, you know what God's going to do? He said, you don't get a chance to do the fifth. You are in the judgment seat. And the witnesses are what? My books. I'm the witness. The watchers have seen the Holy Spirit was there. I'm aware of everything. I'm aware of everything you've done. I'm aware of everything you said. I'm aware of every thought and the intent of your heart. And you know what God says? Apart from what I'm doing in it, it's only wicked continually. That is who we are. The best that we can be. Talk about setting a little bar. God says that what I expect from you, what I know you're going to do, only evil continually. Aside from what? Aside from the working of my spirit, aside from the working of my word. See, there there are areas of morality, but we understand the true pardon is what? Oh, we see how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, he offered himself. And then we see here the perfection without spot. Do you understand what he's doing? And you say, yeah, you're adding a lot of peace. I know I am, but understand that it builds and it builds and it crescendos because we see the plus, how much more we see the price. Shall the blood, the person of Christ, the power through the eternal spirit, the pardon offered himself, the perfection without spot. Without spot. Do you understand the purity of God himself coming to earth? God himself without sin. God in the flesh now says, this is the sacrifice. Talk about purity. How do you know it's purity? Do you know what the scriptures say about God? They use it in threes, always in three. Now, when God says something once, pay attention. When he says something twice, really pay attention. But when he says something three times, wrap duct tape around your head because it should explode. What God says about himself is this. When you see the scenes in heaven, three times God says, holy, holy, holy. Do you understand how this is the one who died? The one who is thrice holy went to the cross for you and for me. Talk about perfection. God in his perfection, God without spot. And then we see what? Then we see the Papa. I was going to say the Pater, which simply means Papa, but I didn't want to confuse the, the, you know, anyone out here. So you see the Papa. Why? Because he says, now, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God? 
See, the one who's the judge, Jesus says, I'm taking that judgment seat. I'm taking that place of judgment. So he moves you and me out of the way. He says, I'm going to put you out of the way. Where does he set us? Believe it or not, he sets us there in heaven in the seat among the princes. Just like the psalm we read this morning, he said, I'm going to put you in this place of honor, the place of glory. This is what I'm doing. And so he now takes us and he now comes before God for judgment. And he places us before God in a place of honor. Talk about how incredible this is. And now you see why I could give, you know, two months worth of messages. And then you see here, not only does he move on to the papa, but then he moves on to the purging. He says, for if or how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works. The, the term cleansing literally means purge your conscience from dead works. What does it mean? It means that the handwriting of the requirement that was against us, he's taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. He does this purging. He cleanses our conscience. Now, understand what he's doing. He's not cleansing the outward. He's cleansing the inward. That you and I, when we have the accuser of the brethren who accuses us before God day and night, says, do you see what he did? Do you see what he did? And we're saying, listen, I'm not in the judgment seat. Don't look at me, the flawed me. I've been moved out of the judgment seat. And I've been put in a place of royalty. The one who's taken the judgment seat is Jesus Christ. And guess what he's done? Well, his blood through the power of the eternal spirit has now in the most incredible way as we see when he offered himself to God, we now have the cleansing or the purging of our conscience, the very core of who we are. Everything within me is now that should be saying, I got to run from God is saying what? It's all been taken away. It's all been paid full, paid for in full. Now, this is the blessing. See, God's not just winking at sin and saying, I'll pretend like it didn't happen. No, God says, I know that it happened. And because I'm a holy God and because I'm a righteous God, that sin has to be dealt with. And so what does God do? He said, it is dealt with, but my son paid the price. So when the enemy brings this accusation, God looks in the book and he says, he doesn't owe me anything. It says right here, paid in full, paid in full, paid in full. See that the penalty of that sin has now been paid. And so there's nothing on my account. There's nothing on your account. So we see this purging. And what that brings to us is what? A participation. Because we see the plus, how much more? The price, shall the blood of God, um, shall the blood, the person of Christ, the power through the eternal spirit, the pardon offered himself, the perfection without spot, the papa to God, the purging, cleanse your conscience from dead works. The participation is what? We get to serve the living God. Now, the glory thing about us serving the living God is this, that we aren't serving to try to pay off a debt. Do you understand? It's not like, oh, my goodness, I owe God. What's this one going to cost me? Now, normally what would happen is this. You'd come and say, wow, I sinned. And okay, well, this will cost you two Hail Marys. This will cost you three. That was a little tough. Make that one eight. 
And, and there would always be something. Well, maybe you should help an old lady across the street. Maybe you should help some Girl Scouts sell their cookies. Buy at least two dozen this year, not just one. You know, so so you look to this and you say, what can I do to, you know, make myself right? And we think we have to work off the debt. Well, guess what? There's no debt for you and I to work off. What we come now is we serve the living God out of I just want to. How what can I do for you, Lord? (laughs) Just, Just name it. When you realize everything that you have, you're like, God, how can I honor you? How can I bless? And he doesn't ask a lot for us. It's one of those things, and I've shared this before, and I'm going to just do it one more time. But let's just say that, that you were there and, and you were you know, in a store, and this guy met you. This guy, and he lives over there on the lakefront. He has this beautiful, beautiful house there on the, the lakeside of Lakeshore Drive. And he says, hey, why don't you come over to my house? And he's all right, I'll come over to your house. And, and he, he shows you around and he's like, hey, look at this, look at this, look at this. Come into my garage, you see those eight cars. I, what do you think? I, yeah, you're nice. That's good. He said, well, i tell you what. He said, I'm going to be leaving I'm going to be going over to Europe. I'm not taking any of this stuff with me. I'd like to give it all to you. Yeah, I want to give you the house right here. But don't worry, don't worry. You don't have to pay taxes. I already have a whole trust account set to pay all the taxes, all your electrical, all your your fuel. Everything's paid for. All you have to do is just be in this house. And all those cars in the garage, they're all yours too. They're, they're, everything here is yours. And you're like, oh, my goodness. This is great. I live on Lake Drive. I got eight cars. And he says, do me a favor. I don't know if you could. Like, could you take me to the airport? I I don't need anything. Just take me to the airport. Like, dude, no, call Uber. Why why do you want me to drive you? I'm going to be busy with my stuff. (laughs) Who would say no? If if all that, it's all yours. And they said, could you take me to the airport? (laughs) Like, sooner you're out, I know it's mine. Yeah, I'll take you to the airport. But who would complain? Who would say no? No, call Uber. You know, you know, call, call, call a ride service. I'll call you a taxi. That's what I will do. No, you would take them how much more in, in what everything that I have, would I not simply do that? And, and, and that's what God asks. He gives us all these riches and all this wealth and and all this promise and all this inheritance. And then he said, hey, I'm going to be doing this. Like, can I do it with you? Can I do it with you? That's what he means here by here at the very end of the participation to serve the living God. And this is his heart and this is what we see. Now, understand that when we look to this and we, we see how much more. Keep in mind that what happened was we realized that there in the Old Testament, when it came to the Day of Atonement, there was an annual atonement that was made for the sins of the nation. And this is where we've talked about it before, how the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would use the blood of animals and they would cover the sins of the people for an entire year. In other words, let's turn to chapter 10 of Hebrews and look at the first four verses. 
In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. One more time. Let's look at this. The law having a shadow of the good things to come, not the very image, they're a shadow, not the real thing, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year. So every year they offer it, make those who approach perfect for then would they not have ceased to be offered? He said, if you were perfect, then why do it again? You know what I mean? If it's perfect and it's everlasting, then why do you want to do it again the next year? We're already good. And so then they would have not, would they not cease to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. Do you realize that I can't come to God as sinless because I realize eh, I got to go again? But now in Christ, I realize that I'm forgiven even before I sin. I don't want to go there. But if it happens, I know that I'm forgiven even before I sin. Why? Because the payment for my sins was done 2000 years ago, just outside of Jerusalem, there upon a cross. And Jesus said this 2000 years ago, it is finished. It is. I did my part. Now you do yours. He said it is finished. And so we see here in verse two, again, in Hebrews chapter 10, for then they would have would they have not ceased to be offered for the worshiper once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. <laughs> Sacrifice. Why? I need it. I've sinned. Sacrifice. Why? I need it. I've sinned. It's just a reminder. And what's absolutely incredible is every year when they have this sacrifice, the thought is, is what? Man, I need it because I've sinned. I've needed it because I've sinned. I've needed it because I've sinned. And you know what's interesting? That is what many churches look at communion as I need it because I sinned. I need it because I've sinned. <laughs> what Jesus says, we're going to get into this in just a second. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Not you, me. Every time he said, when you when you eat this bread, you do this in remembrance of me. When you drink the cup of the new covenant, you do this in remembrance of me. You focus on the sacrifice, not on the worshiper. But yet so often what communion turns into is this whole area of this, this self-reflecting. What have I done? What do I need to confess? What's next? How do I get myself right with God? Oh, I got to confess this. And what else? Have I, I got to confess this. And it becomes this whole morbid thing of introspection versus a celebration of saying, Jesus, look at what you've done. I'm looking at what? I'm looking at the purity of the sacrifice. I'm looking at how much more. How much more when I can just look at Christ and remember him. But what we see is this. 
in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 3, and then verse 4 again. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sin every year, for it's not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Do you realize that every single year is like, yep, I've sinned, yep, I've sinned, yep, i sinned. That's the constant reminder of everything. But what we understand is what? Jesus himself has done this greater cleansing. Now we come back to our text and we're here in Hebrews chapter nine. I want to read to you verse 13, or we're here in Hebrews chapter 14 or chapter nine, verse 14. I want to back to verse 13 for just a second, because it says this, if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sacrifices for the purifying of the flesh. Now we went through that a couple of Wednesdays ago. And we, we talked about here how these blood of the bulls and the goats and those, uh, the ashes of the heifer. And of course we looked at numbers chapter nine and we saw here how it was the purifying for the flesh and it was an outward cleansing and then you look to this outward the purifying of the flesh and then you compare that in verse 14 which is how much more and then he says cleanse your conscience from dead works you realize outward inward there's a big difference when it comes. And so when we see here, he says, yeah, the outward with the, the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer, it cleansed your flesh, but the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses your conscience. One is simply the outward. One is the inward. And understand that when he cleanses the inward, <laughs> the outward follows suit. And as we look to this, we looked at that whole portion of when the children of Israel left Egypt. And we saw there in Exodus chapter 12, and then we, we looked at verses 3 through 6, and the whole point was there in verse 6, it says, And the lamb shall be without blemish. And that was a focal point. You had to look at this lamb and the lamb was inspected and you inspected this lamb for three days, but it had to be inspected and the lamb had to be without blemish. And then we went over to the book of Numbers in chapter 28 and in chapter 29, and we were looking at the certain sacrifices that they made for the feasts. And with all those sacrifices, we saw how they made a mention says, be sure they are without blemish. And it was emphatic, be sure they are without blemish. You had to make sure that the sacrifices were without blemish. Why? Well, I made a point and it kind of stood out. I had a lot of good points on Wednesday, but one that I thought was just this kind of afterthought stood out. And it was this, that you could have a worshiper and he could have one eye, one arm, one leg. He could be hobbling himself up and he could be just a wretched, wretched individual. And yet the priest is going to do what? He's not going to look at the flaw of the worshiper. He's going to inspect the sacrifice. How cool is that? I can be flawed. And he's not like, dude, <laughs> you're a mess. You got one eye, one arm, one leg. God can't accept it. It's not about me. You understand, as flawed as the worshiper is, we see what? God looks at the sacrifice. 
And this is that beautiful understanding where they're in the, the, the book of Revelation in chapter 12, verse 10, where it talks about the accuser of the brethren, Satan, who accuses us before God day and night. He's been cast down. Why? It says by the blood of the lamb. See, when he's accusing us, God says, dude, don't look at the worshiper. We look at the sacrifice. So when he accuses us, it's like, look at how flat he is. Lil has one spiritual eye, one spiritual hand, one spiritual leg. He's a mess. God says, yes, he is. But I don't inspect him. I inspect the lamb. What I inspect is this. How much more? Do you understand? And so when I see this, how much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit as he offers himself to God, cleanse wolves inside from all this dead. That he can do what? He can serve the living God. Why? Because I'm not looking at him. I've enabled him now to serve because he has no sin that needs to be paid for, that needs to be dealt with. And so we look to this, and I I find it interesting how here the priest will never inspect the worshiper. Only the sacrifice. Now, to be honest with you, that is communion. That is communion. Now, why is it that when it comes to communion that we sort of do the same thing? And many churches cause us to do the same thing. When we come to communion, they say, all right, here's communion. Let us now start this self-searching, introspection, silent confession so that you can be right with God. Dude, I'm already right. Don't look at me. Why, when it comes to communion, do they say, let's look at me? Let's look at me. Well, what happens is this. Let's see what communion actually is according to scripture and according to context. The first thing I want to take you to is, is there in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verses 26 to 28. Jesus himself is doing this whole understanding where it's called the Lord's Supper, and he begins to say, let's start this process, let's institute this, in a sense, a ceremony that's going to point to me. In Matthew 26, 26, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, gave it to the disciples, says, take, eat, this is my body. So, Very simple, very forthright. They're eating. They're partaking of a meal. Now, this is important. Follow everything. Don't don't mistake this point where while they were eating, as they were eating, it's important when we get into 1 Corinthians. But as they were eating, make a note, as they were eating, Jesus now takes the bread, says, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, verse 27. He gave thanks And gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. So as we see here, Jesus now institute what is known as the Lord's table or communion. Now, 
I would like you to now turn in your Bibles, and you need to do this. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And what's important about 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is this. When you're in verse 23, Paul makes this statement. For I received from the Lord. What is he saying? God gave this to me. Jesus gave this to me. I received from the Lord. Not I received it from the apostles. I received it from the Lord. So as Matthew is recording the words of Jesus, what? In these last days, although there were words from the prophets, he spoke to us what? Through his son. In other words, they're powerful. They're truth. There's something you need to heed. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now this is as they were eating, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, take eat this is my body which is broken for you and now highlight this underline this make a note of this which is broken for you do this eating of it thinking of it do this in remembrance of me what is he saying look at the sacrifice this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, verse 25, he also took the cup after supper, saying, again, if your Bible says the words of Christ in red, these are red. He took the cup after supper, saying, quoting Jesus, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. What is he saying? Get your eyes on the sacrifice, not on the worshiper. And so we see here where Paul says now in verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. What about his death? <laughs> My sins are forgiven. What did he say on the cross? It is forgiven. I'm preaching forgiveness. As often as I eat this bread and drink this cup, I am proclaiming, I am preaching to myself, those around me, and to the world, I am forgiven. Do you understand? I am, I'm proclaiming something really crazy. What I'm really proclaiming is this. How much more shall the blood of Christ, through the power of the eternal spirit, Offers to God through cleansing our conscience of dead works that we're able to simply serve the living God. That's what I'm proclaiming. I have been cleansed. I've been forgiven. And so as we see this, all of a sudden, now, when we come to here at Calvary Chapel... And we take communion. If you've noticed that when we come here to this passage of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, that I read from verses 23 through 26. And I stop there. And, and you say, well, you always stop there. There's always more. And all these other churches read more. Why do you, Lowell, stop at 26? Are you afraid of the rest? Is it, is it botching up your whole theology? Actually, no. Because what happens is this. 
Here's why we stop at verse 26. Because in verses 27 through 34, let's read it. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let each man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves we would not be judged but when we are judged we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world therefore my brethren when you come together to eat wait for one another but if anyone is hungry let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment and the rest I will set in order when I come and you're saying that's why you don't read it lol it says here, you got to examine yourself as an unworthy manner, and you have just botched your theology. In all honesty, keep in mind that when churches use this passage and they, they read it in participation prior to the Lord's Supper, and the churches want this passage to produce in us the soul-searching introspection, silent confession to Christ, so that no one is going to sin against the spiritual presence of the Lord with something that I've done and I've observed and I've sinned, something that has been unworship, you know, that has been irreverent. In other words, I'm looking at the worshiper, not the sacrifice. I want to tell you that what 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 34, is not, and I'm going to say this again, is not a discussion or a declaration by Paul on how to prepare yourself for communion. Let me say this one more time. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27 through 34. I'm making a statement. I'll prove it here in just a second. But it is not a discussion or a declaration by Paul on how to prepare yourself to take communion. What is it? It's a further correction that Paul was actually speaking of the behavior of the Corinthian church, starting in verse 17. Why is that? Well, I want to share with you one thing here as you look here at verse 27. The beginning of verse 27 starts with a unique and crazy word, therefore. Now, for those of you that have been here for more than a week, you already know what Lowell says that whenever you see the word therefore, you have to ask, what's it there for? In other words, what went on before it? Now, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to give you a little bit of correction here on what this is. I'm going to read this passage one more time, and I'm going to read it in its context so that you and I can now, as we go through this, unravel what it's meant to say and what it's not meant to say. Now, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to start by giving you an outline. I'm going to read through the passage. I'm going to give you the outline one more time. The outline in verses 17 through 22 is talking about the disorders, shameful behavior of the, the Corinthians 
um, certain Corinthians in the Corinthian church during the Lord's Supper. So it's about disorders and the shameful behaviors. Once you get into verse 23 through 26, which is what we normally read through communion, this is Jesus's words as he institutes and declares, this is what the Lord's Supper is and should be. In other words, do this to remembrance of me. The Lord's Supper should be what? Look at the sacrifice, not at the worshiper. And then in verses 27 through 34, what that becomes is Paul's correction to the Corinthian church regarding the disorders and the shameful behaviors that he already spoke about in verse 17. So that's the outline. Let's read through this passage in first Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Now, in the giving of these instructions, I do not praise you. That's not good. <laughs> just just as a, I'm going to give you my commentary on that. That's not good. He makes a statement in giving these instructions. I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. Now, what's interesting is this. As he's about to, to, to say here, I do not praise you. I want you to just just as a note, I'm giving this one for you for free. This is absolutely just a side note. But in First in Corinthians 11, verse two, he says, now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things. And you keep the tradition just as I delivered them to you. He says, I praise you in verse two. Why? Because they're not thinking about themselves. But here's the problem. In verse 17, he says, now I don't praise you. Why? Because all they're doing is thinking about themselves. Are you getting a picture here? It's something about let's focus on the sacrifice. Let's focus on other things. Get your eyes off yourself. But this is what he was doing in verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church... I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Now, what he's about to say is this. He says there's divisions among you. Now, what are going to be the divisions? We'll go into it deeper in just a little bit, but just to give you an idea of what the divisions are is this. We're going to see in just a moment that there are those who are there at this love feast. There are those who are there eating as they were eating when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. But there were this group within the Corinthian church that were very, had a lot of stuff. And they would eat and they would drink. And then there were others who had nothing and they wouldn't share. It's like, oh, man, stinks to be you. But boy, do I have a lot. Ha, ha, ha. Here I am at this feast and I'm feasting. What did you bring? Well, it looks like you're going hungry tonight. And that's what was the case. And they would bring divisions. In other words, there would be the halves that I have this and I have this and I have this. And they would be those who were the better. And they were those who have nots and they would be the lesser. And they, rather than bringing this unity and reconciliation in the body of Christ, do you understand what the body of Christ is? It's all of us are now what one in the body. And so for, for the hand to say, you know what? I'm tired of being the one every single time that Lowell eats to be the one to have to pick up the food and shove it in his mouth. I'm done. 
I am not going to serve the rest of the body. I am going to be independent. Good luck. You're saying you can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. Have you ever seen pie eating contest? Just stick your face in there, Lowell. That's what you can do. Let your mouth do all the work. Hands are retiring. And the hand, which is part of the body, doesn't want to assist the body. Well, guess what? If the mouth and the face don't go down into this pie, I die. And the hand does what? Dies as well. But the hand says, no, I'm the one always doing the work, always shoveling in the food. And yeah, the taste buds are like, oh, this is great. This is great. But I'm the one who's doing the work. Every single time it's me who has, a, again, another bite, another bite. Do you know how many times? And then Lowell gets another helping. You know what that means? It means I got overtime. And then he's doing it again. And then, oh, my goodness, triple time. And he does it on holidays. I have to work on holidays. And I got to do it on Christmas and on Thanksgiving when everybody's like, oh, this is great. I get extra time off. I have to work four times as hard. Shoveling it in, shoveling it in. You bring out the pie. Great. I got to work again. And you look to this and you wonder, here's the hand always serving, always. And the hand says, look at how good I am. I'm the one that brings all this to the face. I'm the one. And then you look to the foot and says, what do you do? What do you do? You just wiggle underneath the table. You just, you, you cross yourself and you wiggle and you just, you're not doing anything. Yeah, you bring us to the table, but then I'm the one that do all the work. I'm the one that has to do all the time, all the time, all the time. And then you got the spleen. Who knows what he's doing, but he's hanging out. Ooh, I get to participate. I get some food. I get to benefit all the work the hand is doing. And you got the haves and you got the have-nots. And you got these things where rather it's just being my body working in unity because the head knows what it needs. One thinks it's elevating itself above something else. And here's what we see so incredibly that as we look to this, he makes this statement again in verse 18. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. You got those who are the has, those who are the have nots, those who think they're better, those who think others are lesser rather than believing. You know what? We're a unity. This is the body of Christ. And we want to see the entire body being lifted up and blessed. Well, verse 19, he says, For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Now, what Paul says is there, there does have to be sex. There does have to be factions. In other words, that there's going to be certain proofs. And what are these factions that he says have to be? Well, there, there's some that are gods and will be evident that they are gods. And there's some through their actions that are not gods that are evident that they're not gods. In other words, these are doing the will of God. These are not doing the will of God. You choose yourself. Why? So God says there, there, there does have to be a faction. There does have to be some kind of recognition of through this work I'm showing. In other words, as I'm simply serving the living God. Not myself, but I'm serving the living God. I'm serving his body that I'm recognizing what I'm part of this work. And so there are factions. In other words, evidence is those who are God, evidence of those who are not evidence, those who are walking with God and doing what God wants and evidence of those who are not. And as we see this, he says in verse nine, for there must be factions, there must be certain sects. And that's true among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. In other words, that through your service of God, people will see your good works to glorify their father in heaven. That's all he's saying. 
Now, in verse 20, therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? Do you understand? It's about the Lord's Supper and the Lord's body. We'll get into that in just a moment. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. And one is hungry and another's drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or, you did the, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? Do you understand that what they're doing by eating by themselves and they, I'm, 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 look at me, too bad your hand's not getting a lot of workout. But as they're doing this, what they're doing is they're despising the church of God. In other words, the unity of the wholeness of the body. They're despising it. And then he says this, you're despising the church of God and you shame those who have nothing. In other words, that those who don't have anything, they're now looking at you who do and your attitudes towards them who, who don't. And they feel that small. Like, I'm not as good. I don't have and you have, and I don't, and you're, you're, when you're eating, you're showing your superiority, and you're acting your superiority, and you're, in a sense, looking at me, looking down on me like I'm a lesser. And that's the scary thing when it comes to the whole issue of the body of Christ. And he says, what do you, you know, or do you despise the church of God? Shame those who have nothing. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So I don't praise you in this. He now does something amazing. He says, I want to show you, this is what you're doing, and this is what I'm correcting. I'm going to show you what the Lord's Supper should be. And so he makes this beautiful statement in verse 23. He says, now I received from the Lord that which he also delivered to you. That on the same night in which he was betrayed, the Lord had taken bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, my body. And we will see in a second that when it comes to his body, that it's not just his body, but it's what? It's his body. It's his body. It's every single person within. He says, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he says, here's my body. This is, and so it is supposed to be, here's, here's unity and reconciliation that you who've all been separated are now all brought together through my work. And now you're my body. And this unity, this reconciliation that we're all now one in Christ. So he says, take eat. This is my body which is broke for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then likewise, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so we see here, he says, this cup, this new covenant in my blood, when you drink this, it's me. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, Paul said, you're proclaiming victory. You're proclaiming unity. You're proclaiming reconciliation. 
See, this is what it's supposed to be. And now Paul says in verse 27, therefore, and this is what it comes up. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood. He's talking about here with these certain Corinthians who were practicing this unpraiseworthy behavior. Remember what he said there in, in, in verse 17? He made the statement, now in giving these destructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, not for the better, for, for the worse. Verse 18 and 19. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. Verse 20. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. Verse 21. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of the others. And one is hungry and another is drunk drunk and he makes a statement in verse 22 what do you do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of god and you shame those who have nothing this is what he says when you eat this bread verse 27 or you drink this cup of the lord in an unworthy manner you will be guilty of the body and the blood of the lord do you see what he's doing what he's doing is he's simply correcting the practices he said, because you do this, when you isolate and you make divisions and you eat this and you, you don't do this, you don't recognize the body being one whole body. When you're eating this in an unworthy manner, when you're consuming everything, letting others go hungry, you becoming drunk. What does it mean when you eat this bread and you drink this cup after you said, look at where I am and oh, there are you. Look at how I've been eating and eating. I'm, oh, boy, I, I had a whole bottle of wine because I didn't share it. And so I've eaten, I've drunk, and now I'm looking at this person. He says, when you eat this bread and you drink it in an unworthy manner, you're going to be guilty of the body and blood. So as he's looking to this, keep in mind that we're, we're recognizing here through the heart of it, he makes that statement in verse 22 for I, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and you shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So we're seeing here that with these practices that they were doing were in a sense of this unworthy um, behavior that this was having this, this shameful result within the Corinthian church. And take a look at verse 33 and verse 34 for just a second here of 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. He says, if you're going to come as a feast, then make it be a potluck. Do you understand that we have our potlucks? It's not, hey, this is my pan. Because if that was the case, when Kevin brought his, I would say, no, this is mine. <laughs> I made this. And Kevin is gracious. He's like, oh, all right, if you want to have it, it's all yours. And I would say, sorry, you guys got to eat your own. I get this pan. You know what I mean? You don't do that. We get together and everybody shares everything. And how amazing is this? And so in verse 33 and 34, when you come together to eat and wait for one another, 
When you come together, either, either do it right or don't do it at all. Verse 34, if anyone's hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. Do you see what he's talking about? He's saying, you guys, because of this shameful behavior, because of what you're doing, this unpraiseworthy behavior, he says, you are coming together for the judgment. There's a judgment that comes with this. And he makes this statement, and I find it so interesting, where when you're looking at here and you're looking at the church of God, I want to back up to verse 22 for just a second. He says, what? Do you not have houses to eat and to drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and you shame those who have nothing? We've talked about the outline. We said the first 17 through 22 were the disorders, the behaviors of the Corinthian church during the Lord's Supper, how they were shameful and they were not edifying and building up. Then Paul in verses 23 through 26 said, this is what it's supposed to be. This is what the Lord declared. Jesus said in these last days, God spoke to us by his son. This is what is reality. And now what Paul is doing in verses 27 through 34 is he's correcting bad behavior. He's talking to these people within the Corinthian church. And he's saying, you people who are elevating yourselves and eating and gluttony and looking down at others and thinking that they are lesser than you because they don't have, you need to start examining your behaviors. So understand this one who but examine himself He's not talking about God saying, listen, we have to examine ourselves. He's talking about the, the issues, the disorders in the Corinthian church. Those people have to come and examine themselves because they're not seeing the Lord's body. Look at verse 22 again. What do you think? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in or do you despise the church of God and you shame those who have nothing? He says, are you despising the church of God? Two verses I want to give you for a little bit of clarification. Look at first Corinthians chapter 10 back over just a couple of verses and look at verse 16 and 17. First Corinthians 10 verse 16 and 17 says this, the cup of blessing, which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? What is he talking about? Communion, right? This is communion. The, the blood that the, the we bless. Is it not the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What is he referring to? Help me out here. If it's not communion, speak it up. I'm listening. Okay, so it's communion. You got, you got the blood, you've got the body. And then he says this in verse 17. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Do you see what he's saying? The partaking of communion, the eating of the bread, it says what? We're all one body. See, by eating of this bread, what you're declaring is this. I'm part of the body of Christ. And I'm not a higher or lesser. We're all what? We're all led by the head. We're all led by Jesus Christ. He up here, we are now being introduced and being a part of this body. And that's all he's saying that we and notice one more time here. I want to read to you. Verse 17, for we, though many, are one bread and one body. Do you know that when we take communion, that what we've done, you might not have seen this. 
is we didn't have to go to the store and buy individual pieces of bread. <laughs> we didn't. We're cheap. We didn't buy individual little pieces. We bought a loaf. And we took from the one loaf all these little pieces that we could spread out to everybody. What does it mean? It means from one loaf, we all get to participate and we are part of what? The whole. That, that's what communion is. And so we realize we're just a part of the whole. And so as we see here, verse 17, though, for we, though many are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. We all partake of here. This Jesus, this is my body. We partake of his body. We're all part of this body. And then he makes this next statement. And in chapter 12, let me just, just, just read this one through because I think it's important where, where we have to look at this. And in chapter 12, verse 27 of 1 Corinthians, what Paul declares this, now you are the body of Christ and members individually. <laughs> what does it mean? It means that you might be a hand, you might be a foot, you might be that spleen that just kind of kicks back and nobody knows what you do. Although we're individual, although we are all these things, we are the body of Christ. Unity, reconciliation. All we individuals have been brought in, become part of this body. And that's what we are. And so when he makes this statement and where he says in verse 22 of, of chapter 11, do you despise the church of God? Do you despise all these other ones that you're thinking are lesser? What are you doing with this? We understand that the body of Christ is the church. Yes, it's just his body was broken there, but it's uh, the representation of the church as a whole, all coming together now in the unity and the reconciliation. And so it consists of all these individual believers. And so we see here that this, this picture of the bread of communion is the picture of the church. Yes, it's his body, but keep in mind, it's also that picture of the church. And so when certain people in the Corinthian church, those who are seeing themselves above others and seeing others as lesser than themselves, what they were doing is they were making divisions or classes among the church. The haves and the have-nots, the I'm up here and you're down there, the betters and the lessers. And there should not be these divisions. Do you understand there is neither male nor female. There is neither Greek nor Hebrew. There is neither bond nor free. We are all one in Christ. A compound unity. We're all one. And it's not about being an individual anymore. Now we're all part of this incredible body. But when they were seeing themselves above others and others as lesser to themselves, and they were making these classes and divisions, then what was happening is this. These people were sinning. They were sinning. That's why he says back in verse 18, and I want to read it to you one more time. As they were looking to these, these lessers and betters and everything else, he said, when you come together as a church, I hear there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. Because what they were doing in verse 22, do you despise the church of God, the unity of this body, and you shame those who have nothing? You're, you're taking this body, and, and you're, you're literally saying, you guys are... are bringing sin upon this. And that's why he says, you despising the church. You're shaming the body. 
and it should never be. And that's why he says, shall I praise you in this? Should, should I say, oh, it's okay, though? He says, no, I don't praise you in this. This is an error in the church. And despising the church and shaming those who have nothing, that what we're seeing is this. That was a reality in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 11, for there must be factions among you. It, it's just simply one that God says, here's a sect, that those who are approved, those who are walking the will of God, and those who are opposed to the will of God, that they could be identified. And if you are at that point where you're looking at, I have the haves and these are the ones that are down here. I'm a high Christian. There are low Christians. Understand there are just Christians. There are sinners saved by grace. And there are sinners who are not saved by grace. The only divisions there are. And that's what it says here in verse 19. There's only two divisions. Those who are Christ and those who are not. That's, that's it. And if you're Christ, you're part of his body. He's the head. He's the one. And so these people were sinning that we recognize here. They, they were not assisting the poor. And by not assisting the poor, what was happening was this. Remember, is come back to verse 27. Therefore, what happened before? Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood. In other words, the, the whole you're, 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 you're now bringing judgment in because you're not recognizing the body as a whole. And the, the blood of Christ is what? That he, that's the thing that makes me whole. That's the thing that makes me one. And he says, but let each man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup that we see that here. There's supposed to be this place where these people within the Corinthian church that were elevating themselves says, look at what you're doing. Would you look at your practices? Look at what you're doing examine yourself and he says this and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup look and then do it in the way that god said do it to him do it as part of the body and then he makes this statement verse 29 for he who eats and drinks now most of your bibles should if they are a correct translation should either not have in an unworthy manner or have the term in an unworthy manner in italics. Do you guys have that in italics? Do you have it not in there at all? Because what happens is this, the term in an unworthy manner is not in most of the older transcripts. It simply should state this, he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the body. So the older translations do not have in an unworthy manner. The older translations do not have the term Lord's body, just have the term body. So when you take a look at what was originally written, not the things that were inserted in to help make sense of it. Verse 29 should simply read for he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the body. Which is what? Exactly what we've been talking about. When you eat and drink and you're saying, I'm the better, they're the lesser, you're bringing this judgment that he talked about to yourself and, and to this body of Christ. And then in verse 30, for this reason, because you're letting these poor Christians go and not feeding them, not sending them home with leftovers, not saying, hey, take this, take this, take this, let, let me, let me, I'll, 
I got more when I get home. You eat the greater abundance. You take some home. But because they weren't ministering to the poor and needy, what was happening to the poor and needy? Verse 30, for this reason, many are weak and sick and, and, uh, and sick among you and many sleep. He said, these poor are dying. They don't, they don't have the nutrients. They don't have all these things. There's a hardship upon the church right now. And because you're not ministering to the poor in the church, they're, the one time they could come and get some food, <laughs> maybe the only time they're eating, they're not being able to because they see all this food that you're eating and you're not giving them any. And through this, we see the result of what's happening to the Lord's body. You are healthy because you have all this energy and you have all this nutrition. They don't. And many of them are weak. Many of them are sick. Some of them are even dying. And so he makes a statement, verse 31, for if we would judge ourselves, if you would pay attention to what you're doing. And as we see here, all these people that they were not ministering to, they were not ministering to the Lord's body. Now, I'll tell you what, if anyone knows that the unity is the Lord's body, it's going to be Paul. Remember there in the book of Acts, chapter 9, here was Paul. He learned a valuable lesson about what the body is. I want to read to you just the first four verses. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. And he asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if any were found who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? persecuting you. I'm persecuting the church. I'm persecuting individuals. Oh, no, 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 no. Do you understand how Paul learned a valuable lesson? He learned a valuable lesson in his conversion. The church, every individual is part of Jesus Christ. It's part of his body. And this is here what he's now grasping. This is here what he's now understanding. As we see here so incredibly that it makes this statement Verse 31 here in our text, for if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If you would consider and examine yourself and examine what's happening, then there's not going to be this future judgment for you. If you're familiar with that passage there in um, the book of Galatians, I want to read you just a couple of verses, Galatians 6, verses 6 through 9. It says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things. If you're taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will the spirit reap everlasting life. Let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we will reap the reward if we do not lose heart. See, if you continue in this practice of, of isolating these Christians that you think are lower and not blessing them and feeding them, so they go around weak and sick and some are dying, then you are going to hear, we say, you're, you're not discerning what the body of Christ should be. And for he says in verse 31, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. If you get this right now with you and God, 
and you elevate those who are lesser or lower yourself to that place to realize we're all sinners saved by grace. None of us are high Christians and low Christians. We're all part of the body of Christ. And as we're all part of him, we see here verse 32. But when we are judged, if you're going to continue this practice, know this, God's going to deal with you. God is going to deal with you guys as that level within the Christian church. When we're judged, we're chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. He says, know this, God, he loves you, but he's going to deal with you in a very powerful way, showing you what is his heart. And that way we get to do what? We get to through this amazing work of Jesus Christ, serve the living God. We get to bless him and honor him and, and glorify him. And so he says here, when we're judged, verse 32, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. So I don't want you to be condemned. But you can't go on with this practice because that's not what the church is. The church is not the haves and the have-nots, the hires and the lesses. The church is the body of Christ. Come together as the body of Christ. Look at the unity. Look at Jesus Christ. Get your eyes on him. Not off, Get your off of yourself. And so we see here that he's dealing with these issues in the Corinthian church, these disorders and the shameful behaviors. And so he says in verse 33, therefore, what does it mean? Well, it means to go back up to verse 27. Therefore, all the things from verse 17 to 22. Look at these things. It says, therefore, my brother, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you be come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. The issue is what? Not forsaking the fellowshipping. I think it's so important. And then keep in mind that where that passage is in Hebrews 10, 25, where it talks about not forsaking the assembling together as God intends us to assemble together. See, realize in this room, they're not better and lesser Christians. See, just because just I'm up teaching or others are worshiping, that doesn't make us higher Christians. It just says this is our role today. That's all it is. We are all what? We are sinners saved by grace. And oh man, are we saved by that grace. And we look to hear the heart of God and we recognize what he's doing. And so here we see that the, what God wanted is I want you to come together in unity. I want you to come together in reconciliation. Don't come as this manner of some as others who try to, you know, divide and then conquer. But he says this, what you guys need to do is you have to come together and you need to recognize what you're doing, examine yourself and you need to what you need to make it right. You need to go to those Christians that, that you are seeing as lesser and you need to make it right. You have to do that. There's a passage in, in the, the Gospel of Matthew. Don't turn there. Just jot it down. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. He makes this declaration. Jesus speaking. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar, remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. If you want to offer this worship of God. Oh, you made us one. You made us one. And you go and you make yourselves one because you've already divided us. You've got to go and make it right. And so when you're coming to the Lord's Supper with that sin and this unconfessed um, 
issues that you're dealing with and you're not bringing that right before the Lord. You're, you're, you're bringing judgment on yourselves as you have this guilt of judgment that comes. And so I love what the Lord does. What he says is this. You can't be right with God until you get right with your brother. And so we see here that you guys who are not right. Verse 33 and verse 34. When you come together, wait for one another. Get everyone together. Realize we're all part of the body of Christ. I'm not because I got here sooner. I'm not the first one in. So that makes me better. You wait for one another. I think it's important because I don't know how many times that certain Christians think I've been here longer in this Christian walk. I've been here longer at Calvary Chapel and this I know more. And because I know so much more, let me help you who squibs, babies, milk of the word people, just these little tiny Christianettes. No, let's come together. Let's, let's look to what the Lord is doing. And, and I think what happens is when we properly judge the unity of the body, what it's supposed to be, and then we do what we act accordingly. If you do that, judge the body as a unity, act accordingly. We're all one in this. We need to make sure that as we can bless as many of the body as we can, we need to do this. What we do is this. You're going to avoid bringing judgment upon yourself. And so when we see here in, in verses um, 26 through 34, it's not what the Lord instituted. So every time someone says, oh, if you eat this bread or you drink this cup in an unworthy manner, you're guilty. It's, that's not me. Do you realize that? That's not me. I don't need to examine myself. I'm not in this position. This isn't who I am. And so when, when, when churches bring verses 27 through 34 into saying this is how we need to prepare ourselves for communion, what you're doing is this. You're taking it out of context. The whole issue is this. Paul's correction was to the Corinthian church. He said, here's your issues. Here's what Jesus said it should be, which is what we read. And here's the correction. So when we take communion, what do we do? Well, we start reading in verse 23 and we read to verse 26. Why? Because these are the words in red. This is what Paul said. This is what Jesus declared to me. And I'm going to declare it to you. And when we come to communion, and I, I love the heart of it, it should free us up. I don't know how many of you have been to a church where it's like, okay, here's communion. Examine yourselves. Dig deep. Dig really deep. Get that sin out. Focus on how bad you are. And then once you're miserable enough, then take communion. Really? This is why we call it a table of celebration. You understand we're not being disciplined here. We are being forgiven here. We are having the statement say we have been forgiven. What we do is we come to communion and we look to the bread and we look to the cup and in our minds and in our hearts and through the spirit, we says, how much more 
how much more shall this blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, when he offered himself to God, cleanse our conscience. I have been cleansed. I have been purified. My eye is on the sacrifice. So when you come to communion, remember, the priest did not look at the worshiper. He looked at the sacrifice. When you come to communion, don't look at the worshiper. Look at the sacrifice. You see that over and over again through the clarity of Scripture. But what happens is this, the people start reading in 1 Corinthians, and they start in verse 23, and they keep reading all the way down to verse 34, thinking, this is preparation. It's not preparation. It was a discussion that started back in verse 17. Get the scripture in context and walk what is true. Jesus instituted communion, says what? Do this in remembrance of me, period. Do this in remembrance of me. And what we get to do is this. In just a moment, we get to partake of this table of celebration. And I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Don't inspect yourself. You come and you hold the bread and you say, is this his body? Did he redeem all of us? And, and you may look and say, well, yeah, look around you. I know you're doing him. And then you look at me and say, I don't know about Lowell. <laughs> I hope he did Lowell, but, you know, I know, I know my neighbor. I know my, he redeemed all of us. We're all part of this one body now. And look to this reunion. Look to this unity. Look and say, oh, my goodness, this is what God did. He brought all of us from wherever we were. And he said, you are now my body. You're me. We all get to be a part of this. And then we look to this blood, the blood who through the eternal spirit cleanses every thought that you could ever do of the conscience of any sin you have ever done. He's cleansed you. He's purged you. So when you're looking for that sin, realize what God through the eternal spirit says. It's not there on your account anymore. You know what purging is? Gone gone just gone so when you try to examine yourself you should see this nothing why because you're examining christ you're looking at him you're looking at what he's done you look at this glorious work that he's accomplished may we enter into that beauty celebration looking to the glorious glorious how much more as we look to Jesus Christ, as we look to the cleansing of our conscience, and we look to all that, come to this point to say, now my service, now the service that I want to do unto the Lord, the service that I'm doing to the living God is not a duty to pay off the wrongs. It's simply a response and gratitude to say, God, can I hang out with you? He says, yes, I've been waiting for you to ask. Just hang out with me. And by the way, this is what we're going to do. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. May we never come to the point that we take our eyes off the Lord. We take our eyes off of Jesus Christ and what he's done and what he's doing. May we come to this place of saying, Jesus, it's all about you. Oh, is it all about you? Why? Because no, if I look at anything else and then I look at you, I say these three words, how much more? 
how much more? Amen. Well, Father, we do thank you for this heart. We thank you for this word. We thank you for your grace. We are so grateful, Jesus, that you instituted the supper. And Father, when, when we have come and we take our eyes off of you, we look to ourselves. What a shame. I want to come to the table and I want it to be how much more glorious is this table when I only look to you. And I realize that all my sin has been purged. The power of your eternal spirit through the blood of Christ has cleansed my conscience. Brought me into a right relationship with the living God and I can worship you with my life. I can serve you with my life. Oh, Lord, knit our hearts to you. Knit our hearts to you, we ask in Jesus name and all the saints of God.